turn to Isaiah chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the works of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock, and hide in the dust, from before the terror of the Lord, and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and of the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to terrify the earth. In, the day, in that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs, from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord today. I'm so glad uh, I'm here today with all of you. Let's pray together. God, our gracious God, thank you for pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. What great words to a sinner. Jesus, you are all in all. You do all things well. You are fairer than 10,000. You are distinguished above them all. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. We give you great praise and glory and honor for the Lord's day. Strength for today, just for today. God, might you come in a special power, in a special clarity, in a special conviction, in a special comfort, that your word might be prized, 
the living word, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he was crucified for us, and now we are hidden in him, righteous and adopted and blameless. Not one of our sins will be counted against us, not one, past and present and the future sins. They're all thrown into the depths of the sea. You'll never bring them up again. It's so good, Lord. This grace is so rich. It's such a feast. So might you come, Lord, and display Christ to us. Might we get larger and fuller and clearer views of Jesus today. That our souls might be helped. That our minds might be illuminated to think about you and our lives committed to you because you committed yourself to us. Come, we pray, as you already have by your spirit and through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we come once again to Isaiah chapter 2 and to the subject of the last days. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, you see it there, beloved. It shall come to pass in the latter days. There was a time in the 20th century, not so much today, I don't think, but in the 20th century when the topic of the last days was all the rage. Conferences were being held to discuss the millennium, the tribulation, what signs should we look for, who the Antichrist was. Was it the Pope of Rome? Was it the Fuhrer of Germany? Uh, the Secretary of State the United States was posited as the Antichrist at one point. Can you believe that? Oh, maybe you can. Well, I'm glad we can move on from all of that now. Because what Isaiah sets forth is the last days from God's perspective. We saw last time from Pastor Robert that Isaiah sees the future of the church here in verses 2 to 4. Isaiah sees the future of God's elect. And it's a great mountain temple established by God, transcending everything from heaven to earth. It encompasses earth itself. It's a great and massive picture of the church victorious. There's this anti-gravitational pull that the nations experience as they seek the church and seek Christ. Well, the study or this chapter is a study in contrast. In the first section of verses 2 and 4, the small mountain of God is elevated and lifted up. It's exalted, much like God will be in chapter 6 of Isaiah. In the second section, however, the large and lofty mountains, the kingdoms of this world are brought low and humbled. In the first section, the nations flow to the mountain of God. The kingdoms of this world flow to Christ. Come, they say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. 
So these nations are experiencing awakening and they're coming to Christ. But in the second part, the holy nation itself is filled with things of this world, things from the east, the fortune tellers of the Philistines. In the first part, the nations of the world walk in the light of God's truth. In the second part, the holy nation, the church, worships its own inventions. In the first part, the nations reject weapons of violence. Imagine that. Oh, the day is coming when the nations reject the weapons of violence. But in the second part, the church has no end of chariots and horses. It's a picture of contrast, beloved. And the lesson Isaiah is teaching us today is this. When the church becomes the world, she becomes the enemy. When the church becomes the world, not like the world, but actually becomes the world, the church becomes the enemy. You have three sections in this chapter, verses 6 to 11 Verses 12 to 19 and verses 20 to 20, 20 to 22, three sections, they're all saying the same thing, so I'm not going to go verse by verse as typical, and I don't have an outline today. Verse 6, follow along. The main theme, when the church becomes the world, the church becomes the enemy. Verse 6, you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, he says. They're full of things from the east. Now, we should see that word as rejecting your people. We should see that as the visible church of God, not the invisible church of God. We make a distinction in theology between the visible church and the invisible church, the invisible church being God's elect, those who are truly in Christ by faith. Those cannot be rejected. They cannot be forsaken by the Lord. So verse 6 is obviously talking about the visible church, those who profess those who come on Sunday but perhaps are not in Christ. So God is rejecting his visible people, the nation as a whole. Why? He says, because first they are full of things from the east. The east in scripture symbolizes godlessness. Remember where Adam and Eve were exiled? To the east. Israel's enemies come often from the east. Israel is exiled to the East. The East in Scripture takes on this, this concept or this representation of godlessness. And that's what God's people are full with, Isaiah says. They're full of things from the East, full of godlessness. Second, they're full of fortune tellers and like the Philistines. So they sought out false religion. They stopped giving heed to the word of God. Deuteronomy 17, the king of Israel was to give himself to the very word of God. In fact, he was to have a copy of it himself to lead his soul, to lead the nation to God. But no, now they've given themselves over to the fortune tellers like Philistines. And third, they strike hands with children of foreigners, verse 6 says. So they trust in men. They're trusting in the foreigners. 
The purpose of Israel at first was that the nations would see the glory of Israel, was to see the glory of God. And upon that witness, the nations would come and to see and to, and to ask, tell us what this God is like. But the reverse has happened. Now they strike hands with the foreigners, and they're trusting in men and not in God. So again, Isaiah is telling us today, it turns out that the church, the very people of God, need a Savior too. Verse 7, their land is filled with silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. So they're giving themselves, Isaiah says, you're giving yourself to materialism, to self-indulgence. They're filled with silver and gold. They're like the church of Laodicea and Thyatira. They were rich and prosperous, in need of nothing, not realizing that they were poor, blind, and naked. You're giving yourself to materialism, to self-indulgence, Isaiah says. Their land is filled. Notice this repetition of filled. You see it there? Full of things, filled and filled and filled. They're just filled to the brim with with the world. Your land is filled with horses. There is no end to their chariots. So their hope was in the man, the right man in office. They trusted in political and military power. If we can just get the right guy in office, does that sound familiar? If we can just get the right guy in office, oh, what the church could do. What we could do, oh God. If we just get the right man in office. This was their trust. And Isaiah says, what are you doing? Why are you putting your trust in politics? In chariots and horses? People of God destroyed cities by walking around them and singing. Gideon defeated the Midianites with trumpets and torches. And now you're full of chariots and horses. Where have you gone? What has happened to your soul? God is the Lord of hosts. He's the God of armies. He fights for you. You just need to walk and sing and carry torches and blow trumpets. That's all you need. But that's not what Israel has done. And so the church today, we we think we get the right man in office so what the church could do around the nation. The, The mission of the church is not dependent upon the man in Washington. You understand that? Verse 8. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. Verse 20, look at it. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols, their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats. Isaiah says, idols are not for humans. Idols are for bats and moles. That's where they live. You don't go to idols. That's where animals go to. But Isaiah says, this is what you've done. Verse 8. You're just filled with idols. And he's kind of rubbing your nose in it, is he not? You bow down to the works of your hands. To what your own fingers have made. Israel and her land 
were to be filled, were they not, beloved, with the knowledge of the glory of God? But no, they're filled with the world. And perhaps idolatry is mentioned here last because idolatry or unbelief is the spring from which other sins flow. So they give themselves to materialism and self-indulgence because they don't trust in the satisfaction of God. They give themselves to, her- to chariots and horses because they don't trust. They have unbelief in God to protect them and to provide for them. You see, you, you see the Isaiah's point here. At the root, beloved, it's really unbelief. At the root, it's really idolatry. And so the church, in being filled with the world, has actually become the world and thus the enemy of God. And I wonder, I wonder today how the work how the church is filled with the world. Do you ask that question when you read your Bible? And you read Isaiah, and you see that the people of God are filled with the East and the godlessness of our times. How, how is it today that we're filled? Well, for one, I think we have the spirit of disagreement. I don't think we know how to disagree very well in the church. We're supposed to be, be the people who, who speak with grace and, and, and truth. Be the people who can disagree charitably, honestly, lovingly. And yet, no, we, we censor people just like the world does. And in fact, we hardly even engage with those we disagree with. And if we do, all we do is put people down. I hear ministers of the gospel, ministers of the gospel of all people, not truly engaging in other theological traditions accurately and honestly. They just put them down. Ministers of the the gospel, where's the dignity of this office anymore? We don't know how to disagree. We have this spirit of competition in the church today. Do you see it? I see it. Who has the bigger church? Who has the best liturgy? Who has the better education? Which minister went to which school? Who has the bigger following? It's the spirit of one-upsmanship in the church today. What is going on? What has happened to the people of God? I think Storyline Church is in Arvada, and I think they have hundreds of CCU students that go there. Does that bother you? It doesn't. Not for me. Not for me.
I want people in a solid church. If they're here, they're here. If they're not, they're not. Let us get rid of the spirit of disagreement, of competition. It is poison to our health. I don't care if anyone knows about us. I could care less. J.C. Ryle said, have your walls, but make sure they're low enough you can shake hands over them. Isn't that good? That's the type of people we ought to be. But we're so filled with the world today. So Isaiah says, he continues in verse 9, a man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them, he says. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. This is the consequence of what we get when we're filled with the world, Isaiah says. You're brought low. There's coming a day, Isaiah says, when the gates of forgiveness will shut. Look at it. Verse 9, do not forgive them, he says. Don't do it. There's coming a day, beloved. Can you imagine there's coming a day when Christ the Savior is no longer set forth to save sinners? What a day of anguish. What a day of terror. When the gospel of grace is run dry, when the invitations to come to Christ, this wonderful, beautiful Savior, they're no longer extended. These invitations are no longer given. What a day of terror, Isaiah says. What a day of horror, of anguish. He says there's coming a day I, when the movers and shakers of this world will fall. Look at it. The haughty looks of man will be brought low, verse 11. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled. There's coming a day when the mighty, when those who seem so influential, each one, Isaiah says, is brought down, is brought low. You know, Jesus, he quotes these words. Did you know that? In verse 10, enter the rock, hide in the dust. Verse 19, people shall enter the caves of the rocks and holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty, he will rise to terrify the earth. Verse 21, to enter the caverns of the rocks, the clefts of the cliffs. Jesus quotes these words in his ministry. As he's led away to the cross, the crowd begins to mourn and lament. You know, do you remember what Jesus says to them? Don't weep for me, he says. Weep for yourselves, that's right. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 2. The days are coming when you will say to the mountains, fall on us. And when you say to the hills, cover us. Man will want to be buried alive instead of facing the Lord Jesus Christ and the splendor of his majesty. What a day of terror. 
And nothing, Isaiah says, nothing, no one will be exempt. Look at verses 12 and 13. The Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan. Again, again, look at just the repetition of against, against, against. When the church becomes the world, the church becomes the enemy. Even the most elegant, the most admired will be brought low, Isaiah says. The cedars of Lebanon, they were used as the building of Solomon's temple. Its trunk, its just gargantuan trunk, was used for the large poles on ships. The leaves on, this Le- on the cedar of Lebanon did not fall in the winter. And Lebanon itself, Lebanon is used as a symbol of beauty. And it's coming down, Isaiah says. Bashan is a place of rich pasture, thick forest. It means fruitful in the Hebrew. And the oaks there, what a sight to behold, strong and elegant, mighty, towering. And yet the judgment of God, Isaiah says, will bring it all down. Isaiah is telling you to get perspective. All the things that are towering and elegant and beautiful will come down. And perhaps Isaiah says to you and to me this morning, you know, there's a, there's a cedar of Lebanon, of heaven, that stands tall. And he is the most majestic, glorious person you could ever know. He is the true Lebanon, true beauty. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true Bashan, the the true fruitful one, who has made all of us offspring by faith through grace. And perhaps Isaiah is telling you today, this is the Lebanon, this is the cedar, the tree of life. You need to know. He's fairer than all ten thousands. He's distinguished among them all. He's the radiant Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah says. Would you take him? Would you take him crucified? Because one day he's going to take you if you're not in him by faith. Verses 14 and 15, Isaiah continues. Against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills and against every tower and against every fortified wall. So everything that which is grand, everything that which is glorious, they too will fall. The mountains. Don't you drive to the mountains and think, oh, these are going to last forever. They're going to crash into the sea one day. They're so enduring, so everlasting, yet even over these, God's majestic reign rules. The high towers, the fortified walls are the works of man. That which seems invincible, that which protects man from the enemy, God will access. You understand that? 
God will scale man's tower of confidence and the storm of God's judgment will leave man exposed. And God will be the one as the one who is invincible over all. The Alexanders of the world, the Mussolinis of the world, the politicians and their false towers of power, they will crumble when the Lord Jesus descends from high and he alone will be exalted. What those men desired and craved above all things, namely vindication and exaltation, only Jesus will have forever. Verses 16 and 17. Against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Tarshish and her ships were the center for trade and commerce. They represented the essential elements of life. They were the hub of man's necessities. And Isaiah says, beloved, on that great day, Man will be stripped of all that he depends on. God will make man see himself as God sees him, utterly dependent upon his maker for all things. And man will cry for pity and mercy, and God will not give it. The pride of men will be brought Lo, and beloved, there's a part of me, and I hope there's a part of you that cannot wait for this day. Do you read the reports of Nigerian Christians killed by the thousands? Do you see the ways of America? And do you ever feel like the psalmist, vindicate your name, O God? Do you ever feel like the psalmist put them to open shame, O God? The psalmist says, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Don't you ever feel like that? When you read this report of your brothers and sisters being slaughtered. And so Isaiah says in conclusion, verse 22, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? I had a coach in high school in basketball. Um, coach Nagel was his name. And we played in Northern California, and we weren't getting the respect that we thought we should get our senior year as a team. So he would take us down to the L.A. teams and play teams from Upland and Dominguez Hills, places where he didn't typically want to be a whole lot. And every time we would play these teams that looked so strong and so athletic and so towering over us, Coach Nagel would say in the pregame, you know, they put their shorts on the same way you do, one leg at a time. And we would all just kind of chuckle, like we're doing now. And his point is Isaiah's point. They're just men. 
That's all they are. Stop regarding man. And whose nostrils is breath. We look around the world and we look in our country on the, the, the influential, the, the powerful, the mighty, the strong. And Isaiah says, you know there's really nothing to them? In their nostrils is breath. They breathe just like you. Well, there is one man you ought to regard, beloved. He's the man, Christ Jesus. And he loves you. And he gave himself for you. And you ought to regard him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because he's not just a man. He's the Lord of glory. Would you take him by faith? Let's pray. Our great God, we are humbled to read of such a day. There's a sense in which our souls are a bit uh, captured by what we read here and what we read throughout the Bible. We live day to day in, in the mundane, but we're all careening towards this day. We're all, we're all driving towards this day. It's going to happen. And uh, and we're thankful that the one who will come to judge has first come to take the justice on our behalf. just a bit out of our depth today, Lord, over what you are and um, what you will do. Give us a faith that fears you and not the world. Give us a faith that, uh, that loves our neighbor well. And might you purge the world out of us? Lord, there is so much of the world in me, and I want it out. And I need your grace to do it. I can't do it. We can't do it. But God, we cry. We cry out for Jesus to be ours because he's made us his own.